Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. We are in Esther chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Esther chapter 6. I've been using the English Standard Version for those of you who are wondering, um, but we are going to continue uh, through this book. Now, this morning I'm going to be talking to you about TV show recaps, about chocolate-covered espresso beans, volleyball, being tagged in social media, and having twins, which I happen to know something about, okay? Have you ever been hooked on a TV series, and maybe it's one that's ongoing, and it's something you can't just binge watch on Netflix, and and so you have to wait a week before the program comes back, and inevitably at the beginning of the program, they have a recap of what happened? And you watch the recap, and they're basically setting the stage for what is going to be happening this week. Especially if it's a long-playing series, there's a lot of narratives that you're having to follow, a lot of different characters. And so who they're going to focus on this week, you've got to kind of be reminded. Well, I want to give you a little recap of the book of Esther, because this is a short chapter. And this is one of those chapters where if you're not paying attention, you might just read by as transistors transitionary, but it really isn't. There's a lot of things that we need to focus on in this chapter that have taken place before. So here is our recap of this. Okay. Previously on Esther, right? This is what's taking, you have to have that voice, right? When you're saying that. And so remember recorded in chapter two in the records of the book of the annals and the presence of the king, it was recorded that Mordecai had revealed a plot to assassinate the king. Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. Haman plots to kill not only Mordecai, but all the Jews in his anger for them. Queen Esther finds her voice and the king finds his groove. No, she finds her voice, makes the request before the king, and gains favor, risks her life before the king. She asks to eat with the king and Haman, but doesn't say why she wants to set aside a feast. Haman goes home, thrilled that he was in this feast, but angered because Haman, the Jew, is still alive, and this plot to kill all the Jews is going to take place. So Haman builds a gallows 70 feet high so that he can kill Mordecai the very next morning. 
there we are in the book of Esther. The morning has taken place. Right after all this has happened, the gallow is set up in Haman's yard. Now, remember, the gallow isn't actually a hangman's noose. It's actually a spike that they would impale the people on. And so read with me verses 1 and 2. That night, this is the night right after the gallow has been built and all this has happened, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the records of his reign, to be brought in and read it to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bechthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What a great couple of verses. They are so benign. They just seem like so meaningless. It's just kind of what's going on here, right? And this is really a common theme in the Hebrew scriptures about exile. Usually it involves a dream, right? The the king, the pharaoh has a dream, doesn't know what it means. And so he sends out for Joseph and Joseph interprets the dream. And so Joseph is the hero that answers the dream and then helps save the people. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. He has a dream, doesn't know what it means, doesn't want to tell anyone. And so Daniel comes and explains to him the dreams and the kingdoms. We also have that again with Daniel and King Darius. And so in each of these scenarios, there is a king, a figure who's in authority, who has this thought and is troubled by it. And then a hero comes in bring clarity into the matter. But here, there is no dream and there is no apparent hero, but there really is the same theme taking place. Remember, we've talked about through the book of Esther, God's name doesn't show up at all. But what we're starting to see is how he shows up behind the scenes. And in these type scenes, that hero that comes through usually is a main character, but here God really is not in the story, but somehow still becomes the main character in all of this. Now remember, the clock is ticking, right? Daylight is coming. And when daylight comes... Mordecai is going to die. Not only Mordecai, it's the beginning of the genocide for the Jewish people. Because Haman has put this all into play and it's all taking place. But why couldn't the king sleep? Why did he want the book of records? And why did he go back to the place where it mentions Mordecai? We know that this is some 30 days later, based on what Esther said to Mordecai, earlier. What was going on? Did he have trouble sleeping and a book of records would help put him to sleep? Because it would me, right? You know, I can't sleep. Get some guy to come read me the book of records. It doesn't sound exciting, right? What was going on that he would want to do this? I remember some years ago, I was out at a coffee shop with John Ellis and John started eating 
these chocolate-covered espresso beans, but he didn't know they were chocolate-covered espresso beans. He just thought they were chocolate. And if you guys know John, John is wired already. He's naturally caffeinated, right? John doesn't need any more. And John is popping these things like candy because they taste like candy. And he goes, what are these? They're great. And he goes, those are chocolate-covered espresso beans. He goes, oh, no. Oh, I've had like 20 of these. I'm sorry, John. I don't know what to tell you. And so John was buzzed, right, the whole night, just wide awake because of these things. But there's no espresso beans here in this chapter. We don't see the reason that's going on. Just this curious series of events that's taking place. The king, for some reason, couldn't sleep. For some reason, wanted the book of records. For some reason, goes back to this time where Mordecai's name is mentioned. In verse 2 and 3, we read again, it says, it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bixana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Found in the records, it was written. Seems like a small thing, but it's another hinge point in the story. Remember, they alluded to this back in chapter two, that his name was written and it seemed like nothing. It just was one of those things you read and pass over, but it comes up again. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't trivial. It was actually very important. And those little things somehow turn out to be big things as time goes on. You know, we're not supposed to despise the day of small things. What you think might be incidental might actually be of big value to you somewhere down the line. How many times have our children watched the little things that we do and it starts becoming the everyday things they do? Right When you lose your temper, I know you guys don't, but when those things happen and you start seeing them act like you and you thought it was no big deal. I remember years ago, Karina and I got in a fight because it happened, hasn't happened for years now, right? We, we got in an argument and I, it was very heated and I got so upset that I thought, I'm just going to go for a walk and cool down, right? And so I got out of the house, and I took a walk around the block, came back. Years later, one of my boys had said, well, you left me that time years ago. I'm thinking, what? What are you talking about? That time you and mom got in a fight, and you left, I came back, dude, lighten up, right? I didn't leave. I, can't, I didn't even go to the bar and get wasted. I just, I took a hike around the block and I'm back here. In his mind, it was so traumatic that he saw his dad get in an argument and leave and it left an impression. Oh my gosh. Paranoid me, right? After that, I was like, man, I got to watch what we do. But you see these little things. It was just written in the book of records. And here it comes up again. Seems small. It seems insignificant. But the fate of so many people hinge on this moment. We don't even see it. 
Why does the king read it now? Why does Mordecai's name come up at this time? And now there's a scene change. Verses 4 and 5. The king said, who's in the court? So the king had been up for a while, apparently, and now someone's in the court. Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So now Haman is there first thing in the morning, right? Remember, he could not rejoice in the fact that he was a prominent person in the king's palace, that he had just had dinner with the king and queen Esther. He was boasting about it, but it was that man, it was that Mordecai, man, he wouldn't bow to me and I'm not going to be happy until he is dead. And so he's there first thing in the morning because he's supposed to have a banquet again with the king and with Esther, but he can't enjoy that while Mordecai is still alive. So first thing in the morning, he is there. Who's here in the morning this early? Oh, it's Haman. Bring him in here right away. First thing in the morning. Now remember, the clock is ticking because Mordecai is about to be impaled. At least that's what Haman's thinking as well as the annihilation of all the Jews in Persia, this is the beginning. And now the king invites him there. Insomnia is a strange thing, right? When you just can't sleep. I mean, there's a number of reasons why it could be. It it could be chemical, right? You drink too much caffeine, keeps you wired. It could be food. You eat too much food. Even alcohol, even though it might help you go to sleep quickly, you don't sleep soundly and you could wake up. I saw a show about that. I don't know this just because of experiences, right? And so there are these kinds of things. There's also conditions that you can have where you are unable to sleep because of your metabolism, or it could be stress, right? You ever been stressed out and it's just hard to fall asleep because your mind doesn't shut off? I wasn't asking for the hands, but thank you. (laughs) There are times where things are happening where you just cannot shut down. You're worried. You're excited. I think I've told you before when we were going to Wales years ago, my son Daniel, who when he would fall asleep, he was like a dead man, right? You could pick him up, stand him up. Daniel, are you awake? Yeah, yeah, I'm awake. Boom, he'd fall right back down and he'd be out. He'd like not even remember that. But when it was time to go and he was going his first time on an airplane to travel, came in at like four in the morning, said, hey, Daniel, big smile came on his face and he stood right up. It was like, I'm awake, right? His mind was already going, even though he was asleep. So there's a lot of things that can keep us from sleeping. Something keeping the king from sleeping. And there was something perhaps that was troubling Haman also, that he couldn't sleep. In verse 6, we see, when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? The king doesn't even start with an introduction. He doesn't say, hello, come on in. He just starts with this sentence. What should be done, right? For the man the king delights to honor. Now, Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? You'll find out. So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have him bring a royal robe, 
the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. That's the horse has actually a crest on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one, the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Right? He's got it in his mind. Oh, since he thinks it's him, this is what I want done. Now, when you're playing volleyball, there is a person who's called the setter. The setter is like the quarterback or the point guard in basketball. What the setter does is call the plays. If you ever watch volleyball and that person is there with the numbers behind their back, that's the setter telling everyone what to do. This is a picture of me, by the way. No, really, I'm right here in the corner up in this. No, just kidding. And so what the setter does is he plans the play. He decides who's going to get the ball set up to them so that they can spike it, so that they can find the open place in the court. And sometimes they'll set it up and there'll be like a fake spike and then the guy behind him comes and does it. You guys seen that? It's like, what's going on here? Who's planning all this? Well, it's the setter. That's what's taking place behind it, okay? They're preparing what's going to happen. The stage has been set for an amazing spike that's about to happen. God has just set the ball up and it's going to go down. And it's an amazing thing that's going to happen right here. There is this kind of subtlety that's taking place and it's going to show up in a big, big way. Haman, for his part, had no context for the question. He has to guess who the king is desiring to honor, and he guesses that it's himself. He couldn't imagine anyone other than himself. From the last chapter, we saw that you know, he thought he was the, the what, cat's meow or whatever that's, bees, yeah, whatever those animals are that do things, right? He, he thought something was going down, and he was the person that was going to make it happen. He's reached the summit of who he is, the ultimate honor that he believed was his, a royal robe, the crown on the horse, all these things. No one would dare put this. It would be like you saying, I'm going to just go get into the president's limousine. You wouldn't make it, right? The, the Secret Service would tackle you down, shoot you, whatever they're going to do. I don't know. I'm not going to try it. So same thing. You don't put on the royal robe. This is an extreme honor. This is something that is only fit for the king. This was a form of social capital. You know, things have changed so much that social capital is now measured in different ways. It's measured in in a lot of ways in social media and things like that, being tagged in something. Oh, how did that get there? That's a wedding magazine cover. Oh, that just happens to be my daughter-in-law's photograph on the wedding cover. Sorry, that was a mistake. (laughs) Social media is a way of status. And I mention that because my daughter-in-law is doing very well in her photography. She is now getting sponsors that give her things because she has so many people looking at her Instagram. It's in the thousands, 
right? If I get 20, I'm like, yes, 20 people looked at my picture of me walking a dog. She's getting thousands of people looking at her, and now people are noticing her, and so they're saying, hey, would you wear our clothes? Would you eat our food? Would you do these things, right? And so now she's getting sponsors. She's had people fly her to Europe to do weddings, right? How cool is that, right? And it's all because of social media. If you're tagged in social media by someone who's prominent, all of a sudden you become prominent. I have so many photographers following me right now just because I have the same last name. They're all very disappointed, by the way, when they look at my Instagrams, right? But they're all following me. Why? Because of her. You show up on The Tonight Show. You make a comedic routine, and all of a sudden, everyone wants to hire you. Why? Because of that social status. Being in this place, having the king's robe, would last the rest of your life. You would be considered a person of prominence for a long, long time. So what Haman is doing is intentional. He's putting himself in this position saying, this will really set me up for life. And so he's setting himself up, or so he thought. He's setting himself up to do what he thinks is going to be done for him. What Haman mentions is what he could imagine. Verse 10, king says, go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Oh, man. OMG, right? To see Haman's face right now. The last chapter, he could not enjoy anything until Mordecai the Jew was dead. And now the king says, everything, don't neglect anything you've mentioned. Verse 11, so Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback. He's the one leading him on horseback through the city, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Things snowball quickly from here for Haman. Everything starts to go downhill fast. We, we see that he has to be at once quickly go and set this up to do it for Mordecai. In verse 10, we see he, he rushes home, or in verse 12, he rushes home, and then he's hurried away in verse 14. It's just bam, bam, bam. You've got to do this. And he's left reeling. He's wondering what's going on here. You see, he had designed the honor that now his enemy would receive. He'd come to rest, request Mordecai's execution, but now he must be the one to proclaim Mordecai's honor. And we're seeing this reversal throughout the book of Esther. He tells him not to neglect anything he gives added emphasis. The last time we read anything about Mordecai's clothing, it was sackcloth and ashes. And now it's being clothed with royalty. The reversal that is underway, Haman, who was lifted up, is brought low. Mordecai, who was taken down, is lifted up. The king was apparently unaware of the friction between the two of them. 
But the people outside the gate knew about this. Remember in chapter 3, they're the one who told Haman, hey, Mordecai is not bowing to you. What's going on? Made him aware of this. And now imagine their faces when they see Haman carrying Mordecai around on a horse. It's like, what happened there? Here's the one the king wants to honor. What's going on? The shock can't be overemphasized. When Corrine was pregnant, she found out, or we found out that she was growing larger than what was supposed to happen. She always loves that when I say that, right? And the doctor said, well, you need to go and get measured to see what's going on in there. And when we were there at the doctor's, they put the jelly on her belly and started doing the sonogram. And they go, oh, there's one. There's two. And we're like, what? There's two? And then she said, let's see if there are any more in there, right? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, kapong, we're going to fall over. Found out we were having twins. You see, that's what I think of. I was trying to think of what was a shocking event in my life. Having twins was a shocking event. It still is, right? Still trying to recover from this. It's like you're having two kids. You're not just having one. You're having two. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Wasn't planning. There's, there's no way you can prepare for having twins. There's no way you can prepare for having one kid. How many of you thought you were prepared to have kids and then you had kids and said, I'm not prepared? Anyone? All right? I, I see all these hands going all these moms. That's me. Amen, brother. Preach it. Right? It, it's the way it is. You, you, there's no way to prepare for these things. There was no way that Haman could prepare for what just happened. It was a complete reversal, and it turned him upside down. We see in verse 12, it continues, Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. It's again, that's a shadowing of what's going to happen. And told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Remember, he told his wife last chapter of what had happened, got counsel from his wife and friends of what they should do. And they said, well, set up the gallow, kill Mordecai and be done with him. Now he's going back for the castle. The council, he rushes there. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Thank you, dear. All of a sudden, the council is going the wrong way. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had. Neither Haman or Mordecai expected what had happened. They were both being carried along by the events now in motion. They were both being moved, but they each had an active role in what was taking place. Mordecai goes before the council of his wife and friends. He gives them the full account of what's happened. And again, Mordecai is at the center of his unhappiness. He was when he was on top of the world, and he is even when he's at the bottom. He wasn't happy when he was supposedly honored, and he's not happy when he had to honor Mordecai. 
You see, the problem wasn't external. It wasn't the circumstances. The problem was really with him. His unhappiness he carried with him. Mordecai just became the person he could blame, the scapegoat that he wanted for what was really taking place with him. And then they give them their thoughts, and it's a dire prediction, right? If you stumbled here by doing this, and now Mordecai is being honored, and he's a Jew, and you wanted to annihilate the Jews, you're going down further. This is the beginning of the fall. And you see, sooner or later, Xerxes is going to find out that Haman is of Jewish descent, because that wasn't mentioned or Mordecai is of Jewish descent. Haman did not mention that to King Xerxes. He did not tell him, I'm going to kill all the Jews, which Mordecai and Esther are both. He kept that silent. He just made it, oh, these people are bad. They're trying to do things that are going to ruin your kingdom so that he could do what he wanted. When that comes out, and it will, oh, buddy, bad for you. So Haman did not even have a few seconds to absorb this. While they were talking, they hurried him to the banquet. Again, another foreshadow of what's coming in the next chapter. And this chapter is where the tables are turned. This chapter is where really the door swings to a different direction. And these important shifts occur before Esther has actually intervened. Remember, she's plotted. She's found her voice. She's gone before the king. She's put her life on the line and she's set what she thinks is going to be the change. But before she gets there, the change is taking place. Something is going on. She's about to expose Haman, but that won't be phase one. That's not the groundwork. The groundwork has been laid and a lot of activity is going on, but it wasn't Esther and it wasn't Mordecai or even Haman who laid those backgrounds. They were all unaware that something else was going. The the circumstances and unfolding of events were not of any of their doing. They're just being set up. The miracle of providence is that it operates backstage. God is offstage through the whole story, but from behind the scenes, he is orchestrating everything. I wonder in our lives, if we find ourselves in a place that it seems maybe out of control, it seems like there is no rhyme or reason that God is in a distance because we have this long range view of providence When I get to heaven, everything will be okay. When this all finally ends, then we'll see the meaning. But you see, if providence is going to show up then, then it actually is taking place now. In other words, if things are going to work out, then you have to understand they're working out now. It's not just going to happen then. It's actually happening now, but maybe you're just not aware of it. Maybe it's going on behind stage. Maybe something is taking place that you are unaware of that's actually setting the stage, setting up what will be played. Recognize that Haman was seeking to kill 
and annihilate, annihilate all the Jews. And that's going to end up being his fate. Sorry for the spoiler if you haven't read the book. And we see that Mordecai was actually plotting to save and rescue. And that is going to be his fate. That the character of each of these figures is actually playing out in what we know is the character of God. And the one whose character is like God's ends up playing out. And the ones who's not like God's plays out in this direction. You see, providence is at work, but it shows up, like I've said before, on Monday morning and how we live every day. And what they're carrying with them is what they're going to be finding is carried to them. God is doing something right now that you don't know about, that I don't know about. Does that make you excited or does that make you nervous? Because that kind of tells you where you're at. When you hear God is doing something right now that you are unaware, are you thinking, oh, thank God. I'm glad he is. Or are you a little bit like, I wonder what it is? Because that's probably telling you something about what's going on with you. See, if there is dishonesty, if there is spite, if there are things that are not going on in your life that are well, then you're probably having that, I wonder what God is doing that I don't know about. But if you find your life being sacrificially lived for others and you hear God is doing something you don't know about, then you're probably thinking, oh, I can't wait till it's revealed. And it starts to hinge on our lives and how we're living. You see, it all works in our favor when we are in his character. All things work together for good to those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. You see, when you love God and you love his character, you live in that way and you find yourself being set up to spike the ball. And it's happening now, even though you may not spike it for who knows when. Our spiritual journey progresses by trusting him in all things that he is at work in these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? But we can trust him for tomorrow, today. But I don't see it. No one saw it. That's the point of this book. No one saw it. God seems like he's not even in the book, but he's everywhere. His fingerprints are all over the pages his name isn't mentioned once. Same is true in our lives. God has made the perfect setup so that Esther can spike the ball, win the game. God's doing the same thing for you. God is doing the same thing for all of us. We find our character and our lives in line with his will. Are you ready for it? That's the question. When you see that set, will you be able to hit it? Are you watching for it? Are you positioning yourself by how you're living so when the moment happens, you are there to take the opportunity? You see, 
That's what Mordecai and Esther have been doing throughout this story. Their moment is coming, but it didn't just happen. They had to set themselves up to be in the place so that when God did set it up, they could be there to take advantage of it. And the same thing is true for us. Are you getting ready? Do you see it? Say, no, I don't. That's the point. That's the exciting point. None of us do, but it's happening. Let's live our lives so we'll be ready when it does. Let's pray. Lord, this is such a powerful story and such a traumatic change of events. We are left thinking that the end is near for Mordecai and all the Jews. And now in a moment's time, without anyone intervening, it changes. And it reminds us of how powerful you are able to work in our lives, in the lives of kings, presidents, world leaders. Lord, all it takes is a sleepless night. And everything can change. Lord, you are always at work, but we are not always aware of it. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would live our lives aware that you are working, aware that you are setting things up, that you are setting the stage, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we live our lives with this focus, this mindset, because when the moment comes, we then have the opportunity to take that moment and allow it to have significance. And God, we see that the significance isn't just for Mordecai. It isn't just for Esther. It is for all the people, Lord, that has always been your posture. We can know your character and your will because it is always caring for others. It is through that tribe, that you would bless all the tribes. It is through Christ that you have brought salvation to all who will call on your name. It is your posture to reach the lost. May it be ours as well. And when you are ready to move, may we be ready to follow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. May you draw near to God and know that he is drawing near to you. May you understand that the universe is leveraged in your favor as you follow him and live like he has shown us to through Christ. God bless you. May God show up richly in your lives. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you guys again next week or Wednesday. God bless you. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. 
we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.